Before we jump into today's episode of Survivor Sanctuary, I want to let you know that you can become a supporter of this podcast and help offset some of the costs of bringing this podcast to you each week. You can visit anchor.fm slash Survivor Sanctuary, click on donate, and you can give an amount starting at 99 cents a month and going up to $9.99 a month. If you love the podcast and you want to keep new episodes coming to you, then visit anchor.fm slash Survivor Sanctuary and become a monthly donor today. More than 20% of people in faith communities are survivors of childhood sexual abuse. But sadly, churches are often the last place a victim of abuse can find help and healing. I'm Kelly Downing, and my dream is a church where survivors like me and so many others can feel safe, be heard, and find healing. Until that happens, this is Survivor Sanctuary, a podcast for survivors of sexual abuse who are navigating the road to healing and for anyone who wants to be a part of the major heart renovation the church needs so that our faith communities can truly become sanctuaries for survivors. Welcome to another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. I'm Kelly, your host today. And while we're piggybacking this episode on the last episode that we did on wolves and how the church actually doesn't believe what the Bible says about wolves, because if we did believe what the Bible says about wolves, we would believe that some of the people committing these great acts of wickedness within our churches are not in fact sheep who are broken or hurting, but they are wolves. Well, today on the podcast, I want to finish that conversation. But instead of tackling the fact that we don't believe in wolves, we are going to talk about why we don't believe in wolves and some of the misconceptions that we have as Christians that keep us from recognizing wolves when we see them. Part of it is a misconception of what scripture says about people who are actually sheep and who believe in God. Part of it is a misconception about what scripture says about wolves. But we're going to be talking about why we don't believe in wolves. And we're going to get back into that conversation right now. We have to be able to recognize the fact that according to scripture, there are people who are imposters. According to scripture, Satan does not show himself as this horrible, like awful creature that's doing, you know, nobody's going to walk up to you and be like, hi there. I am a terrible person who molests children all the time. And it's all that I think about. It's all that I want to do. It's what literally drives me 24, seven, 365. It's all I think about. It's all I plan for. It's literally the reason for my existence. Like that's not how it's being presented to us by the enemy. No, it's being presented presented to us as something that comes in a beautiful form. Satan comes disguised as an angel of light, but we still can't understand that somebody who seems like this wonderful and glorious person behind the pulpit or in the Sunday school teacher's seat could actually be a person who doesn't have any interest in your spiritual life, doesn't have any interest in your well-being and your welfare or the welfare of your children. They only have interest in reveling in their own deceptions and their insatiableness for sin and enticing unsteady souls. Like, why Why don't we recognize that? It, we don't. And it's really obvious when you read the comments of people or you hear the comments of people who find out that somebody that they have always liked has been accused of sexually abusing children. It's so hurtful. And you know, as a survivor of sexual abuse, 
it doesn't even have to be directed at the person who sexually abused me. And honestly, I can say that after I disclosed that I had been sexually abused, I I can't really remember anyone saying physically to me like, oh, he's such a good guy. Like, it's so hard to believe that he did this to you. Like, I don't think that anybody said anything like that to me. I dealt with other really negative aspects of disclosing, but I don't believe that that was one of the things because I think that most people were like, well, she literally has not a single thing to gain from coming forward. And I think that they just, because some people had known me for years, they knew that I wasn't going to make up a story like this. And so it wasn't really a thing of, we think you might be lying. So I didn't have to deal with that. But I'll say this, when I see other people getting these comments from people who don't want to believe that their precious pastor or their precious youth leader, or their precious missionary could ever hurt anyone, I feel re-traumatized by those people and it's not even my abuser. And so I can't even imagine like when it's actually you, it just affects survivors. And maybe as a survivor, you understand what I'm talking about. I recently was reading a person who listens to the podcast and is on our Facebook group was just posting about some comments that they'd received after disclosing their abuse. And when it became public that this wonderful man of God had been accused of sexually abusing children, the comments from people, the insensitive garbage that people would say, oh, this person is just so nice. I can't believe someone that this, this is just so nice would ever hurt anyone. He's so nice to people. But that's one that people love to say. And I love what Dr. Anna Salter says about that because she talks a lot about the difference between niceness and kindness, which I think as a church, we don't get. And especially as a church who has in the Bible, the book that we say that we believe, you know, with all of our hearts, we've got scriptures that literally tell us there are people who are imposters among us. And we cannot wrap our brains around the fact that somebody so nice is not also very kind. We just kind of get that screwed up in our heads a little bit. And I found, and I don't know if this has been your experience, but in the kind of independent fundamental Baptist churches, and even like Southern Baptists and things like that, like I've been part of many different denominations. Like my parents like to just kind of just jump around from denomination to denomination for a little while in my life. The vast majority of it, I will say, I was probably um, fundamental Baptist. But in multiple denominations. It's kind of like we want to talk about people who are wolves in sheep's clothing. And we typically are talking about somebody who's teaching a false doctrine or teaching what we consider like a false gospel. And a lot of times it's really not that they're teaching a false doctrine. It's that some of what they believe about scripture and some of their legalism really doesn't match up with yours. Somebody who doesn't agree with like the old Baptist stance on the going to the movies. I literally thought if I went to the movies that it was going to be this horrible thing, like people are going to be doing drugs and fornicating right in the seats. That's how they made it seem, you know, and you would get people who were more about like freedom in Christ. And then you'd have some of the more rigid people being like, they're false teachers. They're false. And we just kind of throw that like false teacher thing around like confetti, you know, like, oh, you're a false teacher and you're a false teacher. And so are you because I disagree with you about X, Y, or Z. And none of it is really like, 
like the fundamentals of the gospel or of scripture that people are really disagreeing about. So I found that we love to say that somebody who disagrees with us politically is, you know, who this scripture is talking about, or somebody who skips church and isn't there Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, like they're just backslidden and they're obviously not super committed to the Lord because they're not in church every time the doors are open. And we have no problem with believing somebody like that isn't a real Christian. But when it comes to like the reality of what scripture is talking about, that the enemy disguises himself as an angel of light, that people are literally counting it pleasure to revel in the daytime with their disgustingness, their blots and blemishes and their deceptions. We can't wrap our brains around it. So Dr. Salter, to get back to her, actually says that it seems impossible to convince people that private behavior cannot be predicted from public behavior. And I think that if I had to sum up what's wrong with a lot of the church when it comes to responding to sexual abuse, I would say that Dr. Salter nails it on the head. And if you're not familiar with Dr. Salter, a lot of people are because she basically wrote the Bible on predators. It is called Predators, Pedophiles, Rapists, and Other Sex Offenders. A very long title, but if you look up Dr. Anna Salter and Predators, you will find that book. And yes, trigger warning, she very explicitly describes some different acts by different forms of predators, and it is triggering for some people. So I'm not necessarily recommending that everybody just run out and read this book, but again, I've spent a lot of time over the last few years just trying to read about predators. I want to know what makes them tick. I want to know how to identify them and kind of just protect people against them. It's very important to me. So I've kind of delved more into like not as I'm not saying I'm not reading books about healing and all of that. But in the beginning part of my healing journey, I read a lot of books about healing from sexual abuse and like moving forward and, and healing from the things that have happened and a lot of like self-help type stuff. And I still do. I, I still think that those books are really valuable. But I'm kind of in a spot right now where I'm reading a lot about the predators themselves because it's an aspect of it that I don't want to say like I obsess over it, but it's the thing I think about the most. It's like whenever something happens, I'll have a feeling. I'll have like some sort of, um, I don't want to say like a premonition, but just kind of an instinct that something's off about somebody and that I don't trust them. They kind of give me the creeps and they make my skin crawl, even if there's no reason for it, even if they're like this pillar of the church and the community. And I found more and more that when I have those feelings, it's like I don't know exactly why I have them. But a lot of times it turns out that, yes, the person that I have this off feeling about, that I just have a feeling they are preying on children, it ends up being true. And it's so crazy, the accuracy that I feel like I have like in just my own intuition. I said instinct, but I think I mean more intuition. And I think that reading about predators, reading about uh, sex offenders and, and child molesters and pedophilia and all of that, I think that reading some about it can actually help me identify why my intuition notices that things are off about people. Because I really think that when you come right down to it, your intuition is kind of like ringing these alarm bells, essentially because there is stuff right in front of your eyeballs 
that like there's data coming to you that can be read and that can explain why it is that you feel these things. And so that's kind of why I've been delving into more of like the predator uh, behavior and personality and, and all that just to kind of be able to identify. And it's very interesting to see like, okay, I had this instinct, but when I really start picking it apart or I had this intuition, you really start picking it apart and it's like, well, you know, there are all of these behaviors here that I didn't necessarily know that I was recognizing but that my subconscious must have been recognizing because when you added up all those little things that I didn't even think that I was noticing, I had this intuitive feeling that something's off about this person. And then you start breaking it down and you see actual behaviors and patterns that you really didn't consciously notice, but that were there the whole time. So anyway, that's why I'm reading this book by Dr. Salter. Um, I actually have read it in the past, so I'm rereading it for probably like the third time now. And I learn something new every time I do. So um, she said, it seems impossible to convince people that private behavior cannot be predicted from public behavior. And she kind of explains like a few cases. I'm not going to read the cases because she gets very explicit in her descriptions of what perpetrators have told her that they've done. And she's essentially talking about how even medical professionals, you know, they'll have a child come forward and say, my dad did this, or my teacher did this, or this pillar of the community did this. And trained professionals will meet the accused perpetrators and be completely deceived by them. They're trained to recognize sexual abuse. They're trained to recognize deception. And yet they're duped by perpetrators over and over again, saying like, well, we know the child has accused this person of X, Y, Z, but, you know, when he came into the interview room, he was so tender with the child and, you know, just tenderly put a Band-Aid on her knee when she bumped it. And so, therefore, we don't believe that he could have done the abusive things that he's being accused of. And that's why she says... It seems impossible to convince people that private behavior cannot be predicted from public behavior. If that one sentence there could just be hammered into the skulls of everyone in the church, especially in church leadership, I think that we would be miles ahead of where we are right now. We cannot determine what a person is like by their public behavior. We can't. And now I say that like, yeah, People can do nice things for other people. People can be really nice, but that doesn't necessarily mean that in private, they are these nice, wonderful people. And that's why I kind of wanted to touch on the difference between niceness and kindness, because that's another area where I think the church gets it wrong. People will say, oh, he's such a nice man. I just can't imagine that he would do any of these things. So the definition of nice as an adjective um, is pleasing, agreeable, delightful amiably pleasant. All of those things are lovely, but none of them describe kindness. Niceness and kindness are completely different because kindness is of a good or benevolent nature or disposition, having, showing, or proceeding from benevolence. And when you look at the definition of benevolence, it's desire to do good to others, goodwill, charitableness. So essentially kindness is an actual desire and following through on uh, doing good to others. It is actual goodwill. It is actual charitableness. And niceness, while it is lovely, is just being pleasing or agreeable or amiably pleasant. All of that niceness 
is great. We love it because it makes us feel good, but none of it really tells us the true nature of a person. I am sure that some of the most wicked and vile people in the entire world have gone into a restaurant and have been completely pleasant and wonderful to their waitress. Some of the most like prolific serial killers in our history have probably been grocery shopping and been like, oh, I'm so sorry, ma'am, that my cart bumped you here. Let me help you pick up all these cans of soup that just fell on the floor. And I'm going to give you a nice smile and a wink and I'm going to wish you well. Niceness and kindness are not the same thing. Niceness is being pleasing and agreeable, which makes you come across as being kind, but it doesn't make you kind, which is actually caring about and working toward the goodwill of others. And unfortunately, the difference between niceness and kindness is very important because of, well, something else that Dr. Salter says that I want to share with you. And she says, niceness and likability will override a track record of child molestation any day of the week. And she says it with confidence because she's talked to so many people that if you're nice and you're likable, those two things override even a track record of child molestation. She tells stories about people who were warned about a previously founded case or even a conviction for a child molester. And those people still went on to underestimate the kind of person they were dealing with and say, ah, you know, I just, it's so hard to believe this person did something like that because they're nice and they're likable. And apparently that overrides the logical, sensible part of our brains that should tell us if this person has a track record of child molestation, we need to keep them out of our churches and away from our children. She tells a story um, in this chapter where she's talking about niceness and likability as opposed to true kindness. Um, she says that likability is such a potent weapon that it protects predators for long periods of time and through almost incomprehensible numbers of victims. She goes on to tell this story about an athletic director in an elementary school who literally molested children, hundreds and hundreds of children, by his own admission, about 1,250 victims of assault and molestation. And he says this is an approximate number because he just doesn't know the full number. And he used that likability and that niceness to go undetected for almost 20 years. And she says that over the years, several children disclosed that he had abused them. But because of this man's personality and his friendliness and niceness with the parents and the children's families, these parents didn't leave their own children. They would say, no, Mr. So-and-so loves you. He would never do anything to hurt you. You've got, you've got to be mistaken somehow. And then the perpetrator tells Dr. Salter, nope, they didn't have it wrong at all. It took almost 20 years and well over a thousand child victims before a single allegation stuck. All because of this guy's niceness and likability. So here's something that we need to remember when we're thinking about the fact that there are wolves and they're just disguising themselves as sheep and they're using the carcasses of sheep they've already destroyed to disguise themselves as sheep. And these people are using that niceness and likability as a weapon to protect themselves. It protects them from disclosure. And even if children do disclose, that niceness and that likability protects them from people believing, even when it's staring them in the face, even when people confess in many cases. Like there's some wild stories in this book. I say wild, but they're not uncommon. That 
people don't want to believe, even someone who has confessed to doing something wrong, they don't want to believe it because they would rather believe the best in everyone. If this person is so nice and so likable and they get along with everybody and they've been so nice to kids over the years and to parents over the years, then we just don't want to believe that they are capable of living this double life of deception. But that's literally, if you if you think of a wolf in sheep's clothing, that's exactly what they're doing. A wolf in sheep's clothing is wearing the carcass of a lamb to blend in. And they have who destroyed who knows how many people uh, to get to that place. But I think that it's really important for us as Christians, like if you are a Christian, you know, I, I know that some people who listen to the podcast aren't necessarily believers and maybe you don't go to church or anything like that. But I, I'm speaking directly to people who consider themselves like believers and your followers of Christ. And some of you go to church or you go to church online or whatever. I think that it's so important for us as the church to really open our minds, open our eyes to what scripture tells us about imposters, to what scripture tells us about wolves in sheep's clothing, that they are going around seeking people to devour and they don't have the best interest of the little lambs at heart. All they have at interest is their own insatiable appetite for blood and evil. Like it's just the truth. It's what scripture tells us. And if we believe scripture, we have to believe that. And we don't. I think that we're like, well, this person thinks listening to secular music is okay, or this person voted for this political party that I don't like. So they're false teachers or they're wolves in sheep's clothing. We throw that around like a wolf in sheep's clothing is just somebody who does something we don't like. No, wolves in sheep's clothing literally disguise themselves as innocent lambs so they can murder sheep. That's what they're doing. It's not some cutesy little, oh, this person, you know, voted for this candidate who supports XYZ that I think is against the Bible. So they're a wolf in sheep's clothing. No, No, a wolf in sheep's clothing is someone like, oh, I don't know, the missionary or the pastor who has brutally raped and assaulted little children and they've come forward and you don't want to believe them because he's just so nice. You don't want to believe them because he's such a dynamic speaker. He is such a good preacher. Oh my gosh. His sermons, they get me going, they get my foot tapping, they get me saying amen. And he's just such a man of God. There's no way. We've got to understand If we're ever going to hope to combat sexual abuse within the church, we've got to open our eyes to the fact that wolves are walking around in sheep's clothing in our churches, and they're really good at being imposters. Like when you think of an imposter, like an imposter is not somebody who is not trying very hard to pretend to be something else. Like imposters are people who are literally like, you know, it's like looking at a fake painting where somebody is so good as an artist that you can barely tell the difference unless you really, really, really know what you're looking for. You can barely tell the difference between a Rembrandt and this like random Joe Schmo who is just super, super good at faking it. You know, it's skill and it's deception. It's like an art to people. It is not some random, oh, we disagree on whether or not this is a sin and whether or not this is a sin and whether or not Christians should do this or that. We just disagree on this. That is not a wolf in sheep's clothing. It's not just a person that believes something differently than you do or interprets a scripture differently than you happen to interpret it or the way that you believe it. They're literal wolves and they're imposters and they are really, really good at disguising themselves as angels of light so that they can devour souls. And 
if that's one thing that I would love to see the church kind of focusing on a little bit more, um, it's that people have to know that we're never going to be able to root out abusers in our midst. And we're never going to be able to really bring justice to victims if we're unable to open our eyes to the fact that, as Jimmy Hinton says, wolves are not broken sheep. They're not backslidden sheep. They're not sheep who fell into sin. They're wolves. You can't rehabilitate them. You can't restore them. What you can do is remove the wicked person from among you. Get rid of them. Don't let them be around children, especially when they've proven they are capable of violating them in just the most disgusting ways. So just like as a quick recap here, um, and just the point that I wanted to get across in this episode, you can meet the most nice person you've ever met in your whole life. They can know scripture backward and forward. Guess what? So does Satan. The demons believe and tremble, and yet they're still not angels of light. They're still not followers of Christ. They know scripture. That does not make them good people. Somebody can be an amazing speaker. Look at motivational speakers. I think all the time, like if motivational speakers just sprinkled like a few Bible verses in what they're saying, like everybody on stinking earth who thought they were a Christian would think these people were like the most amazing speakers of all time. Just because somebody is a super good speaker or knows their Bible really well doesn't make them a Christian. And I I hate, you know, that saying like, oh, Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than standing in a garage makes you a car. Like, that's dumb. But seriously, though, knowing the Bible and being a really great preacher doesn't mean you're a Christian. It doesn't. You know, it it just doesn't. And we tend to believe that if somebody's sharp and they're great with words and they're good with scripture and they know how to tell a really great fishing story and make it somehow seem like it applies to the sermon they're teaching us that day, like we think that if a person is really good at what they do, that that means that they're a really good person. And that was going back to the story I told earlier of a friend of mine who wanted to play Switzerland when I was really like terribly abused by a spiritual leader. Um, the same thing, you know, she would always talk about what a great speaker he was. It's like, it's nice that he's a great speaker. It's, it's really amazing that he can entertain you from the pulpit every Sunday. Guess what? He also spiritually and emotionally and verbally abuses people. He is also extremely narcissistic. He has also really, really, really hurt me and other people with the things that he said and done and, because he gets up every Sunday and preaches this real nice sermon, he couldn't possibly have done terrible things. So I know you have your issues with this person. I know you say that he molested you, but the person that I know would never do that. You know, that's, it's just a load of BS people and we've got to stop. Like, I know if you're listening to this podcast and you're a survivor or you're an advocate, I'm preaching to the choir here, but I just think it's It's something that is overlooked, I think, a lot. We believe that every single person who says that they're a follower of Christ and who's good at preaching or who's super nice or is kind to the elderly or gives lots of money in the offering couldn't possibly be a child molester. It all comes back to deception. Kind is what a person truly is and nice is is just an adjective that really terrible people can use to deceive you into thinking that they are 
a wonderful person who would never harm a fly. I want to read you something else from Dr. Salter's book about like techniques of deception and just when it comes back to the double life. So this is a person who was a deacon in a church. He had molested 95 victims. And here's what he said. I lived a double life. I would do kind and generous things for people. I would give families money that did not have any money that was not from the church treasury. It was from my own bank accounts. I would support them in all the ways that I could talk to them, encourage them. I'd go to nursing homes, talk with the elderly, pray with the elderly. I do community service projects, pick up litter off the side of the road. I would mow the lawns for elderly and handicapped people, go grocery shopping for them. This is the man who was living a double life, doing all of those super nice things. But was he a kind person? Absolutely not. He was a predator who was molesting dozens and dozens of children from his youth group, children that he supervised and that he counseled. And even when a victim disclosed, everybody said, you know, I have nothing to worry about. We know this is just a big scheme. This person's falsely accusing you. He was told on twice before he was incarcerated. They didn't believe the first two times. He had counselors, church leaders, leaders of the community come up and stand in his defense, and they just flat out could not believe it. It was just disbelief. They could not believe that someone so nice, who was so likable, could also be someone who was a wolf devouring their children. Kind and nice, not the same thing. Niceness is not a fruit of the spirit. It's not in there for the fruit of the spirit is niceness. No, it's not because niceness means nothing. It doesn't mean anything. Anybody can be nice, including horrible people who sexually assault little children. That's what I've got for you this week. Niceness, not a fruit of the spirit. We've got to start opening our eyes to the fact that wolves in sheep's clothing actually exist. Sometimes when we think of the word wolf, we think of wolves in sheep's clothing, we almost think of the wolf as Satan himself. And so it's easy to kind of say like, okay, you know, he's the roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But what the Bible is talking about is within our midst, in our churches, there are wolves who are disguised as sheep who are trying to destroy the flock. And they're not the people that you would guess are the wolves because they're disguised. They look as much like a sheep as possible to deceive you. We've got to start believing that. We have to, because that's the only way we're ever going to root this out of our churches. All right, that's it for this week's episode. And I will catch you back here next time on Survivor Sanctuary. See you then. Thanks for listening to Survivor Sanctuary with me, Kelly Downing. If you found value in today's podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. Not only will it put a big smile on my face, more importantly, your reviews will help make it easier for other survivors and survivor advocates to find this podcast. Also, make sure you subscribe to Survivor Sanctuary wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can also join the conversation in our Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group. And for exclusive content, be sure to visit SurvivorSanctuary.com. Join me next time for another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. See you then.